Hello, and welcome to episode 187 of the N Focus podcast. I am your irregular host, Andrew Brown, and I am joined, as always, by our regular co host, Tori Wassenaar. Hello, Tori. Hello. You got the good chair this week. Oh, yes. It's so lovely and comfortable. And if you reach into the cushion, sometimes you find candy. Oh. Yeah. What is what is Andy doing? Loose candy in his pockets, just falling out? He's been holding out on us when we're not looking. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could be a psychic or an empath, what would you choose? Uh, I already am an empath, and it is exhausting. So I'd say a psychic. I think I would choose to be a psychic, too, just because I think there would be more practical applications for that. Because, you know, humans can already be empaths if they actually work on that. Psychic's kind of cool. You can solve crimes, and I guess that's really it. <laughs> and if you hook yourself up to a giant machine and concentrate, you can kill all the humans or all the mutants in the world. I thought you were going for Minority Report. <laughs> so if, if, oh, you, no. if you really try hard, you can also meet Tom Cruise. Oh, yes. But only if you expel all your body thetans first. <laughs> that's, a, that's a different kind of psychic. Anyway, let's move on with the show. Latest Switch news, Cubic Games has released a game for $4 on the USE shop. I think it's $6 elsewhere uh, called Beautiful Ukraine. It is a charity game that has pictures of Ukraine before it was destroyed by Vladimir Putin's unlawful, unjust war against the country. Uh, Very simple game. It's just jigsaw puzzles, but all profits of the game do go towards Habitat for Humanity Poland, Polish Humanitarian Action, and Save the Children. So if that's something that sounds interesting to you, or if you would like to support those charities in any way, that is an option you can take. A couple narrative games for us this week. Uh, first up, I got a review code from the publisher for... Uh, Chrono Cross, the Radical Dreamers edition, which includes Radical Dreamers Le Tresor Intradit, which oh. I, at one point I did look up what that meant. Uh, <laughs> I think it means uh, the unstealable jewel or something, something jewel. Uh, anyway, it refers to the frozen flame in the game, but this was originally a Satellaview game, and the Satellaview, we talked about this briefly in our last Nintendo Direct episode back in February, but the Satellaview was a an interesting piece of technology. It sort of predated video game streaming in, in a way, uh, but they didn't have you know high-speed internet back in the mid-90s the way we do now, so it was all done through satellites, hence the word Satella, Satella view being in there, but it was an add-on for the Super Famicom, and it was very expensive because you needed uh, basically a receiver that you plugged into your Super NES. Then you had to buy a cartridge that would hold the memory card slot that the games would download onto, but the memory card slot was sold separately and cost extra. So all of this together was already about five six hundred dollars us uh adjusted for inflation and converted from japanese currency uh and there was also a subscription fee you had to pay for it uh and that's not including just the hardware you needed to connect to the satellite service to begin with but of course we're talking about the 90s here a lot more people had personal satellites back then 
but even still, that's uh, another cost factor you need to add into that. And the games you're getting out of this, they ranged in quality. Uh, I think probably today the most notable ones would probably be the Legend of Zelda ones, which were sort of recreations of the original Legend of Zelda and also A Link to the Past. And they were broadcast episodically so you had to be home at a certain time and if you were logged into the service between a certain set of hours then you could download that episode and it's just a very small portion of the game you play so you had to you had to be home and you had to download the game at that certain time a certain number of days in a row in order to play the whole thing which is kind of an interesting way of going about things and i think they did kind of do reruns where they would rebroadcast old episodes so you could catch a part of the game that you missed but i don't know do you think this would go over well today tori just kind of sending a game out like that where you had to you had to catch it during the broadcast hours and if you missed it then you you had to wait for the rerun i think that there would be a niche market for something like this because mm-hmm. if you remember there was that little handheld that was just like a little black and white screen and it had a crank on it. I can't remember the name of it. it was the Playdate? The, the Playdate? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a fancy gadget people are playing with right now. I think people just like some sort of novelty factor sometimes. And even back when this was launched, there was a novelty factor, but there weren't any alternatives. Like, the internet wasn't really a way to distribute games back then, especially for console games. Yeah, for console games. Like, I, I remember playing a lot of DIY games back on AOL in 1995, 1996, but uh, certainly nothing like what we distribute on the internet today. If they did something like this, even if it's through the internet where you could play a game within a certain couple of hours, I think I'd personally find an, a sort of novelty and charm to it. Mm-hmm. And they could definitely but, make games that would really take advantage of that kind of delivery system. Not just, you know, here's a quarter of the game, you've got to be home at this time to play it. Like, something that would actually tie into the episodic nature. Like, I think maybe if Telltale distributed their games that way, that would have added a, an extra layer to how those kind of games worked. Yeah, I mean, the the internet's going to make the the whole satellite distribution kind of moot (laughs) i like the idea of having to be home within a certain time frame to to download it and play it it's not ideal like it's not convenient at all but there is something like charming about that idea yeah i've recently started watching a streaming service called pluto tv Uh, it's it's almost 10 years old now so it's not new but i've only recently become aware of it and it actually works a lot like old television you don't even have to pay for it and you just you pick a channel and it just plays things with ads in the middle of it so it's a lot like kind of having free cable tv basically (laughs) and (laughs) in terms of convenience and especially with the number of ads you have to watch It's nothing compared to a subscription service, but just the way it reminds me of the experience of watching TV, especially in the 2000s. It's a nostalgia thing. Yeah. So I think you could definitely 
get something like that out of a, a service like the Satellaview today if they were to relaunch it. But we're speaking favorably of it, but now I'm suddenly remembering how much we complained about the uh, the scheduling for Salmon Run in Splatoon. So yeah, <laughs> it's definitely a double-edged sword that can work against the game. Yeah, well, that's a game mode in an established game. This is just mm. more of a... Cause I never watched Game of Thrones, but the way that everyone would talk about it at you know work or school or whatever the next day that was fascinating to me <laughs> like everyone talking about their character their favorite characters and what happened the drama that didn't really happen with this so much with Satellaview but that's something that could be done if they were to do it again I think it would be more successful today with uh the wider available availability of the internet versus you know requiring all this expensive hardware and a satellite dish and exactly. a subscription fee that's a, that's a lot of upfront but the internet is a lot more installed in people's everyday lives so like you you could do it on a phone yeah i mean as much as i despise the technology as a crutch uh cloud streaming for games could theoretically work for this uh i just hope they don't go well, I don't know what I'm saying, because this isn't going to happen. <laughs> if it were to happen, I hope that they didn't do it via cloud streaming. <laughs> yeah, let's not give them any more reasons to stick any more games on the cloud. <laughs> well, we, we had games like the BS Legend of Zelda games. That That's what they were called. They were called BS. Uh, I'm not... I'm not implying anything about their quality. <laughs> uh, but... A lot of the other games were a lot more simple, and that's where Radical Dreamers comes in. It's a, it's a much more simple game. It's mostly text-based. There's a very limited number of images that's used to tell its story, and those images are just reused over and over and over again. Uh, what it's about is there's three characters, and these names may sound vaguely familiar to you if you've played Chrono Cross, but we'll, we'll get to that a little later. Uh, there's Kid, Surge, and Magel, and they are trying to uh, sneak into a place called Link's Manor, which is run by this very nasty individual named Lynx to steal the Frozen Flame. And there's a lot of other things that get mentioned over the course of the adventure, like the Acacia Dragoons, the Acacia Insignet, General Viper, Riddle, Poor, Einlanzer, and the Massimune. These are all things that are very important in the Chrono Cross game. So this game actually came out three or four years before Chrono Cross. And in many ways, it's kind of the, the template for what that game would become. So it's it's interesting to play it here in this package to to see it because the only way to play it up until now was through a translated rom i guess you call it I, I, although i don't know if you could call a, a satellaview game that was saved a rom but whatever it is somebody did a translation patch of that and you could play it but this is the official translation of the game the official localization of it so this is square enix's stamp of approval on on how the game relates to the actual Chrono Cross RPG. Uh, as I said, it's a text adventure, and you're, you're just kind of wandering through this mansion trying to solve puzzles. Like Mostly you find doors that are locked, and you, you have to find where the keys are. And the game is actually pretty good about giving you hints about where the keys can be found. So you, you just have to find the room, and then 
you'll be able to get the key as soon as you go inside and then you can go back and open the door as you're walking between the rooms you can actually run into random battles in in heavy air quotes they're just these heavily scripted and narrated fights and you just choose options like do you want to parry the attack or do you want to dodge away from the attack you you can memorize these fights so you can get through them but there is still a certain amount of of luck involved if you haven't done the fight before to memorize what the right choices are and then surge the character you're playing as of the trio will get hit and the game doesn't do a great job of communicating this to you but you actually do have hit points and you can die and if you game over you have to start all over from the beginning of this text adventure that's basically a novella and the first time that happened to me i was not pleased because i had already solved a few pro a few of the puzzles and now i had to basically go back to the beginning of the book and read it all over from the beginning uh, luckily my second time through i managed to get through the entire game without dying again and there actually are a few places that you can heal but I just didn't realize that there is an invisible hit point meter that I was having to maintain. Once I knew that existed, then I was a lot more careful about what I was doing. And I, I sought out those those healing places a little more actively. Uh, the game's well written, but it's very repetitive, like, especially when you're doing those battles. It'll just keep repeating the same paragraphs and the same sentences over and over and over uh, it, the game itself is really not too dissimilar of what you could make today using Twine or Quest just on your personal computer. Was that That's pretty impressive. Uh, in fact, I'm sure if you looked around online, you could actually find this game made with Twine. You just have to look for it. Uh, and the music is really good, which should be no surprise to anybody who's played Chrono Trigger or Chrono Cross. Uh, a lot of the songs are drawn straight out of Chrono Trigger, and the original compositions made for Radical Dreamers were later incorporated into Chrono Cross. I'm happy I played it. It's an interesting game as it connects to the Chrono Cross RPG. It's a really simple game because it was originally a game that was literally broadcast uh, into people's homes through a very slow satellite connection. So visually uh, and in terms of content, it, it's not that impressive. But if you're like a diehard Chrono Trigger or Chrono Cross fan, I, I think you would definitely really enjoy playing this, especially to see how it serves as sort of the bedrock for the much larger Chrono Cross game they made a few a few years later. Tori, you had the opportunity to get this review code, and you passed on it. So do you have anything to say for your antipathy towards the series? More, I really want to play Chrono Trigger, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and there's no real good way to play it as far as I know of. Uh, there's a Steam version, which is pretty good from what i've heard i know it launched okay. to intensely negative reaction because it was just a, a straight port of the mobile version but uh from what i understand they patched it quite a lot and it's a lot better now so uh the steam version is probably your best way to play it it's also on ds but I, I imagine getting a hold of one of those carts is pretty expensive at this point definitely in australia mm -hmm. yeah so short of emulating it yeah the, the steam version is probably the way to go yeah 
it was honestly two factors. I haven't any experience with the, the franchise at all. And also JRPGs are very time consuming. And I'm currently in the middle of a playthrough of Kingdom Hearts. Right. <laughs> so I kind of want to just at least try and finish that one before I take on any other JRPGs. Well, I'll tell you this for Chrono Trigger. It's a, it's a, a super quick one. If you know what you're doing, it's 10 to 15 hours. If it's your first time, it's 15 to 20 hours. It's not that long uh, as far as RPGs are concerned. And it's really tightly plotted and tightly made. You're not going to spend any time grinding in it. Uh, that's good yeah like it, it the game really doesn't let you grind because f- every fight in an area is scripted so you only do a fight once and then you just move on and if you want to grind for some reason you have to leave the area and re-enter to get all the fights to respawn but the game is so well balanced you will never have to do that as long as you're doing every fight between point a and point b and point B is where the boss is at, you will be ready for that boss. That's good. Because I, I can't stand grinding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chrono Trigger, I think, was the first RPG I'd ever played where you didn't have to grind, which was really nice. Again, we've talked about Chrono Trigger briefly a few episodes back, and I said it was my favorite JRPG ever. And Chrono Cross was the follow-up, which I was, I'm was i much less enthusiastic about. But I'll be talking about that in the next episode when I've had more time to play it. Because I, I do want to either finish it or finish most of it before I, I speak about it on the podcast rather than describing it from literally 20-year-old memories at this point was the last time I, I really sat down and played it. So check out Chrono Trigger Tori. I highly recommend it. I think you'll enjoy it when you when you can take a break from Kingdom Hearts. But another game <laughs> you've been playing is Life is Strange True Colors. So why don't you tell us about that one? Yes. So um, I'm a big Life is Strange fan. So the original games, both Life is Strange 1 and 2, were actually episodic in how they were structured and how they were released. So this is a bit of a departure where it's all the chapters released all at once, Hmm. Um, which I'm very thankful for because it's usually a month between releases. (laughs) I wonder if that is at all a side effect of uh, what happened to Telltale, if just episodic gaming is just de passe now nobody wants to do it anymore like even if you're making an episodic game you just release everything at once now i wonder if i wonder if that's going to be the normal going forward yeah i mean there's a charm to having the episodes release with some time between but a Mm -hmm. month is too long weekly bi-weekly well fortnightly sorry Mm -hmm. i think that would be better that way it's kind of still in your mind I agree, but then I also found out the way Telltale did it was they hadn't actually finished the next episode uh, before they started releasing anything. Yeah. I thought what they did was they finished the game and then they just released the episodes staggered just so they could. Uh, No, Uh, they were actually trying to finish the next episode (laughs) after they They finished the last one. They were doing it the Valve way. Yeah. But they just never released episode three. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just the crunch that just must have gone into that. It's just unfathomable to me that they, they would release the game that way instead of just finishing every episode, then releasing the game episodically. But that was my assumption. I, I... There, there is a benefit to doing it that way mm-hmm. in that you can kind of gauge fan feedback and particular elements and polish those areas up between releases. But it is also very unfair on the developers, and I don't think... 
that it's worth the trade-off. Yeah, I think definitely. Release it all at once. Um, anyway. Anyway, if you haven't played Life is Strange before, it's a dialogue-driven... I wrote down walking simulator in our notes, but I don't know if that's quite the right genre. There, there's a lot of walking around and exploring. There's not a lot of action, if any, action. Um, most of that happens in cutscenes. It, it's it's an interactive game, but it's interactive in the sense that decisions you you make and uh, dialogue choices that you choose will have larger consequences down the line. It'll change people's opinions of you. And I really like games that do that. It does encourage multiple playthroughs. Mm -hmm. And because it's not a very long game, it does mean that you can do those replays without getting exhausted by it. <laughs> I will admit, though, the first game has some stiff dialogue. I guess, uh, I don't know if it's a... I don't think it's a problem with the actors. I think it's a problem with how it's written. Hmm. They had this weird quirk that when they referred to other... Uh, Life is Strange 1 is set in a sort of art high school, I guess. It's one of those mm -hmm. schools that prepares you for, like, college or what have you. Yeah. We, ha we have those in the U.S. I don't know about elsewhere, but there are high schools you can go to in, in the U.S. that are just, like, this is an art school and you study art. And when you finish here, you will go to art college. Good yeah. luck if you have to do something else. <laughs> but because it's set in a high school... Everyone refers to each other by their full name. Mm. So instead of being like, oh, that's that's Kate, you'd be like, oh, what's Kate Marsh doing over there? It's it's just a bit stiff. Yeah. But then I think about it, it's like, I, I guess a lot of high school, like, movies and stuff will kind of do that for some reason. It's, I don't know. It's expositional, so everybody knows the character's full name. Or, or maybe there are just a yeah. lot of students at the stool named Kate. So <laughs> you, you got to do the full name so you know which Kate you're talking about. I don't know. Uh, it, that just sounds like a weird quirk, like maybe a stylistic thing they tried for that didn't work. I don't know. But that is weird. But they dropped it. Yeah. Because after the first episode, they don't do it as much. And I don't know if it was because they realized it sounded stiff or, or what. I don't know. That sounds expositional to me, like, okay, they know their last names now, and now we can quit doing it. I guess before I go into too much depth with the story, it is worth mentioning that Life is Strange games do go pretty deep into mental health uh, issues. Mm -hmm. As far as I can tell and remember, this is probably the most focused on mental health, just because of the nature of the main character's power. Mm -hmm. Alex Chen is the character that you play as. And she's reuniting with her brother, Gabe, after being torn apart by the foster care system. It's so far in the game, it's left vague as to what exactly happened. But it, it sounds like Gabe was old enough to stay out of the foster care system and she was dropped into it and she had a rough time of it. Hmm. Particularly because she has this strange power to see people's emotions strong emotions so like anxiety and fear will have a sort of purple aura um sadness will be blue and anger will be bright red and if mm. the anger is strong enough she'll actually feel that anger anger without 
you know, it'll be a passive thing. There's an event very early on in the game that shows exactly what happens when she's around strong anger and she loses control. So imagine being in the foster care system with that sort of ability or curse, depending on how you want to look at it. It's interesting that you asked me, it's probably related to this, why you asked me if I wanted to be a psychic or an empath, because <laughs> this is empathy, like, tuned up to superpower levels. Yeah, that, that I think that would be a living nightmare, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, without going into too much detail, I do have a, a thing where I feel strong empathy, and I also find it hard to be around strong emotions, because I start feeling them too. Mm -hmm. On this level, it would be hell. <laughs> it would be it, Twitter. It was <laughs> not that bad. She can also see the source of these emotions if they're strong enough, where she can actually help people through these emotions. There's one scene in particular where there's a character who's stressed out because she's, I don't know if it explicitly states it, but it's like early onset dementia. Hmm. I mean, she she's older, but she looks like in her 50s or 60s, um, and she's starting to forget things, and it's stressing her out. And so you as the character can use your power to help retrace her steps, because certain objects will have those emotions tied to them, and you can kind of hear her thoughts and memories tied to those items to try and figure out what she forgot and then it drops one hell of a bombshell on you of a choice which is a big spoiler for the game even though it happens in chapter one it is a very heavy choice that i i i feel like i made the right choice it's one of those things where the, the game's all about empathy so you have to kind of consider what would you like to be how would you like to be treated if you were in this uh, position so it's an interesting way of making it not just the the superpower, but also narratively about empathy. Mm. So it's set in a place called Haven Springs, which is a mining town in the mountains of Colorado. I believe Colorado has mountains. Just going off South Park. <laughs> it does, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's on the eastern fringe of the Rocky Mountain Range. Okay. Well, um, there's this mining company... Uh, called Typhon, who they're just blowing the tops off mountains to try and find uranium. Oh, fracking. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah, that does play into the main plot as well. It's hard to talk about it. I, I feel like even though it happens in Chapter 1, it is still significant that you have to kind of experience it for yourself to get the full impact. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the game is going to be about figuring out what happened, what actually happened because it's set in a small town. I really like games and stories that do this, where it's just about, just as much about the town as it is the characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got the uh, bar that you're living above of, <laughs> um, who's owned by Jed, who was apparently a hero. Who There was a mine collapse and he rescued everyone in the mine. And so Typhon basically bought him the bar to run. Uh, his son, Ryan, is one of... He, he's like the best friend of um, the brother, Gabe. 
There's the girl that runs the record store and local radio station, Steph. There's so many characters. Trying to try and list them all is probably... It's fun to just meet them. They're all such distinct characters. And they all, because it's a small town, they all have their jobs. So you know where to find them. You know what they're all about. And the way that they all come together is really interesting. Because it really does feel like a small town. And it, the more I play it, the more I want to just live in a small town. I think you'll find reality uh, is a little yeah. different. From... Yeah. <laughs> small towns I... are, are convenient for narratives because, you know, it's a setting that's manageable and it's a number of characters that's manageable. So it kind of gets used a lot and then it gets idealized. But uh, Definitely. But yeah. I've, I've only lived in cities my whole life as well. So there's that element as well. The, hmm. the grass is greener. But uh, I'm only two chapters in so far. Uh, there's a lot of different sort of subplots going on that you help people through. A lot of characters that have their own strife and their own emotions. Um, it's really well written in that the characters feel real. Mm-hmm. At, at no point so far, at least, am I thinking I would have done this part differently. Or this felt awkward. Nothing's pulling me out of the experience. Which definitely happened with the first Life is Strange game. A lot. Mm. Um, and that's not a complaint. Like, definitely play the first Life is Strange if this sort of game is your thing. But the dialogue was the weakest element of that game. Uh, it just felt clunky. And not... It, it felt like it didn't... Like, the script didn't go through many revisions. Hmm. Uh, Life is Strange 2 is um, a much more heavy experience, but it felt a lot more natural. I don't think... I think it's Don't Nod that did Life is Strange 1 and 2, and hmm. all of the other ones, like Before the Storm and uh, this uh, True Colors, I think it's done by another studio under Square Enix. Technically, they are all in the same universe. There will be some familiar characters if you've played all of the games. Then you don't have to play them all to understand. Like, the first game, the superpower is being able to rewind time. In Life is Strange 2, you don't actually play as the character with the superpower. You play as his older brother. Oh, and the little brother has... Um, it's like telepathy. Not telepathy. What's it, what's it called? The... Telekinesis. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like you're passively using his powers, but you're also trying to get him to use them responsibly because he's only like he's ten years old. He doesn't know how to use them. Oh no! <laughs> and now this game, the 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 power is empathy. The powers tend to play more of a gameplay element rather than a plot element. I mean, obviously, it's intertwined. And it plays with, like, more with the, the reaction of how these powers would actually influence a person's uh, path through life, rather than it being about the powers themselves. Because mm -hmm. um, I liked in the first game, it, if you made a choice, and you're like, actually, I'm not happy with that choice, you could rewind before the choice and then make a new one. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's a different idea for a narrative game. Yeah, there's like this little inner dialogue with the main character, Max, would be like, I think I made the right choice, but uh, 
what about these consequences? <laughs> and so you rewind and you do the other choice and she's like, she does the same thing. <laughs> so you're like, I don't know if that was a right choice here or if, yeah. Real helpful, Max. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're truly dialogue driven games. The, the gameplay element is the superpowers and really just exploring this fantastic world building not just in the characters, but like in the little details of how the town's set up and posters that you find and there's backstory everywhere. They're, they're games, I wouldn't call them relaxing, but they're definitely not as intense as an action game. So mm. if you just want to experience a story where you're in the driver's seat, it's like a choose your own adventure novel, but in a video game, highly recommend just keep in mind that there's some very heavy themes in these games so like when you say it's like not like an action game like telltale games they would have a lot of quick time events in them and like the wolf among us had a few chapters that were basically action games so like there's there's nothing quite like the quick time events in it it's mostly just dialogue not that i can think of mm. there might be like a few sprinkled in there but it's not really i don't remember too many or if any like split second if you don't do this input then you're screwed sort of moments it's like you can't die no yeah i don't don't think you can get a game over um if you do something wrong quotation mm -hmm. marks you just have to suffer the consequences of those mistakes i tend to prefer that in my narrative games that's why i was like that's weird with the uh the rewind and the first life is strange being that generous where I could just take back decisions if I didn't like them. It's like, Oh, you could, you can only make like turn that back in the moment. Yeah. So like the rewind function only has like a couple of minutes at most, like the limit to her power changes depending on the context of the scene. Yeah. It's more like an undo key. <laughs> yeah. I pressed the wrong button. I didn't need to make that <laughs> choice. <laughs> oh, also the, um, Accessibility features in this game are fantastic. There's one that I've never seen before that I really appreciate, where if a scene is going to have loud sounds, mm -hmm. it'll stop the game and it will say, you know, there's some loud scene, there's some loud noises in the scene coming up. Would you like to adjust the um, volume settings? Because hmm. um, I get like a little bit of sensory overload sometimes. It's, it's been very generous of what, what it considers a loud noise. <laughs> but I appreciate it nonetheless. Just being aware that it's going to get loud has helped me a lot to kind of brace myself. Hmm. Uh, more games should do that, please. I think the, uh, the knee-jerk reaction from some people is going to be like, you know, sudden loud noises can be, you know, artistically significant and important and useful but then you're really messing with some people who just they can't handle those kind of things uh just if that's just part of their cognitive makeup or if they've gone through some kind of trauma that can really mess with them too so yeah it's probably better to err on the side of caution with those kind of things i, I see both arguments but i definitely lean towards siding with you on this issue well it's it's an option as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it i think the most people who are going to turn this on are going to be people like me who struggle with too much sound because i also struggle with like processing um 
voice sometimes. So I need subtitles on things. I'm not deaf. I just struggle with listening sometimes. So subtitles are like the most basic accessibility option. Even they'll sometimes spoil dialogue and plot twists and even like interruptions. But if I don't have it, I'm going to miss out on a lot more. I'm just very easily distracted, so I like having the subtitles on so I can uh, have something that'll keep my focus on what's being said. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll I'll look away to my computer or on social media or something, and I'll miss something important. So that's why I have subtitles yeah. on. Although I love games it, that have like a, a journal option. Yeah. I don't know what you call it, where you can just like push a button and you can see the history of all the dialogue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. More games should do that, like... Uh, Absolutely. That was something Planescape did I really liked was it actually made a journal of every single thing you've done in the game and it was actually a written journal. It must have been a ridiculous amount of work for whoever was in charge of writing all those journal entries, but there actually were a few times in the game where that came in handy where I could look back on choices I'd made and events that had happened to me previously in the game because I had to make other choices later on that were impacted by them and I didn't quite remember the finer details of what had happened. So I could just look at that journal to, to remind myself. It's fantastic. And um, the best example I can think of is in Doki Doki Literature Club, which has that mm. like log of all of the dialogue. And if a character says something weird... Like, there'd be a different font when they're kind of, like, having words put in their mouth and you check the log and it will appear normal. I, I really liked <laughs> playing with the, the horror genre tropes Yeah, with it. I think that, that would be part of the uh, fourth wall manipulation going on there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very meta. Sounds like you recommend Life is Strange True Colors. Like, is there anybody you wouldn't recommend it to or anybody you would caution away from it? Like I said, very heavy mental health themes. Um, Alex has had a very rough childhood and she talks about it very explicitly Mm. and there's a lot of I think there could be some triggering elements in there for people who have had a rough childhood as well are you like referring to abuse or just tragic things happen to her or a bit of both okay wow well consider yourselves forewarned if you're interested in the game now but it's a very powerful and very human uh, story in game uh, I've been waiting for a while it just came out on game pass mm-hmm. which is how I'm playing it um, but it is also on switch as lo- as well as the um, the first game and before the storm I don't think 2 is out on switch yet I feel like they're, they're definitely telltale game inspired but they're very much their own thing yeah like the first life is strange it really came out just in the in the heyday of the telltale games before they crashed and burned epically (laughs) so yeah i I think this is kind of continuing the legacy of the telltale Mm -hmm. genre subgenre of the the style of adventure games yeah Yeah. with a apparently a more responsible developer and you know with the the square enix publishing budget behind them versus being self-published which was half the problem with what happened to telltale was they uh yeah yeah their 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 publishing arm did not handle themselves well it's the ethical telltale 
<laughs> ethically produced telltale. <laughs> Free range telltale. <laughs> So, Tori, what are you playing in the coming week? Well, I want to finish uh, True Colors, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you want to play a bit more unpacking. Uh, I feel I don't know how long the game is. I've gotten, like, through, like, four or five houses, I think. Okay, it's like a four-hour game. I'm surprised you haven't finished it yet. <laughs> I just haven't had the chance, because the last game I'm playing is Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> right, and I don't know right, whether right, I should talk right. about that on this show, because it's a cloud game, no. and it's not even available in Australia. We, we do not recognize the authenticity of cloud games on this podcast. <laughs> I, I respect that. If you talk about a cloud game on this podcast and during the edit, I will just replace all of your voice with a beeping sound. I'm not kidding. The only cloud game that we talk about is Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> yeah, that was, I played that. I talked about it. <laughs> Uh, I will be playing uh, a narrative game, as it happens. It's called 80 Days. It's it's a lower-key narrative game. It's based on the Jules Verne story around the world in 80 Days. Um, It has a really good reputation, but I also have not really heard too many people talking about it. So I'm excited to play it. And I'll be uh, making as much progress through Chrono Cross as I can before our next recording which uh, I may or may not talk about in the next episode, depending upon how much progress I make. Thanks for listening to this episode of Focus. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Also make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState for PlayStation, and Power of X for Xbox. Also be sure to join our Discord server, you can interact with the lively GamePodular community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. You can find the links for all of these in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a GamePodular Patreon. You can find the details for both of these on our website. Thank you in advance. This episode was edited by Andrew. You can follow him at PlayCritically on Twitter and check out his long-form reviews at PlayCritically.com. You can follow myself, Tori, at Stew2STWTWO on Twitter and at twitch.tv forward slash Tori STW.